The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? You doing all right? Hey, you, you sound, I would just wish you could experience what I experienced behind the curtain over here during worship. You guys sound so good, and you look good this morning too, so that's a plus. Hey, welcome to Story City. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision, and we are honored that you are here. If this is your first time, uh, thank you for committing to spend a little bit of time with us this morning. We'd love to high-five you after the service and say hello. Hey, let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into the scriptures this morning. Our goal always every Sunday morning is, number one, to open up the scriptures together. Number two, to worship in spirit and truth. Number three, we want to get you out by 1145. Um, let me just say this to you. I may go five minutes over this morning, and if you have to leave, go ahead and leave. I promise I will point you out, but I promise I'm going to get done as soon as possible. I got a lot this morning, but I think it's all good, and so I'm going to just jump into it. Let me pray, and we will jump right into the scriptures in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, you are good to us, Father. You love us, Father. We confess to you this morning that our affections towards you don't rival the affections that you have towards us, God. And God, you have good intents. God, you have um, seen our past, you know our present, and you have already seen ahead into the future, God. And this morning, we commit ourselves to you, our ears, our eyes, our mind, our feet, our hands, and we surrender to the reading of the scripture today and to what the spirit of the living God may want to say to us. Because God, we confess, this is your church. God, these are your people. This is your city. And so God, we surrender to you today. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen, amen. amen. A couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call about eight o'clock on a Monday morning. Monday is my day off. If you call me, I'm probably not going to answer. If you text me, there's a good chance I'm not going to respond. But this Monday morning, a couple of weeks ago, it was one of our pastors and Craig was calling about eight o'clock. I was getting my kids ready. Craig never calls me on Mondays at eight o'clock because it's also his day off and he doesn't respond to text or phone calls. So he's calling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, something is up. I answer the phone. I'm like, hey, Craig, what's up? He's like, hey man, I am here at the bank. Um, I'm a about to make the wire that you sent me the email about. I just want to confirm the right account numbers that you sent me and that you want me to send $3,000. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, no, no, no. He's like, no, no, no. Remember the email that you sent me um, this morning and you wanted me to wire $3,000 to this specific person. I'm like, Pastor Craig, um, I didn't send you an email. <laughs> That's not me. You're being scammed. <laughs> And at that point, he had already initiated the wire and he had already paid the fee. And we were about to deposit $3,000 of Story City Church's money into some dirty, rotten scammer's account. I'm like, Craig, dude, you, man, you've been scammed, right? That happened to me um, a while back as well. And um, I, was, I, I won a, uh, this gift certificate on a game show. It was $1,000 of Saks Fifth Avenue. I don't shop at Saks Fifth Avenue. I know I look like I do, but I do not. I cannot afford $200 t-shirts. And so I decided to sell my Saks gift card on Craigslist. And so the first phone call I got was from a scammer. And I didn't realize it till later when I called the police about it. He's like, yeah, that's definitely a scam. And so what he wanted me to do was the three-way call into the number on the back of the card and then enter my card numbers so that he could hear it, record the numbers, and then later siphon the money off the gift card and scam me. I'm like, you dirty, rotten scammer. What is wrong with people, right? I don't know if you've been scammed. I don't know um, if you've been the uh, victim of something like that. 
But when we read scripture, specifically Luke chapter four this morning, scripture reveals to us that Satan is the tempter of tempter. He is the liar of liars. And he has, the, uh, he has a scheme to siphon spiritual vitality from those whom Jesus calls his. And he's so deceptive. He's so good at it that he'll find the most opportune time and expose your greatest need. And in those moments, Satan has a strategy to siphon from you what Jesus would desire to give to you. So this morning, I want to follow up from our Easter service and the next week, amen. And so I I want to follow up from our Easter message last week. And I want to go all the way back to the first day of Jesus's ministry. By the end of the message, I want to go to the last day of Jesus's ministry before he goes to the cross. And I want us to make the connection between last week and this week and see why Jesus alone had the authority, the, the ability and the power to go to the cross on our behalf. But then beyond that, But then beyond that, I want to speak to us as a church this morning about rising above our own temptation and how Jesus can teach us and instruct us in that way. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1 this morning. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1 this morning. This is the the, the very initiation of the ministry of Jesus. And Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says, And Jesus, Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Verse 1 and 2. Now pause just right here. I'm going to make my way all the way down to verse 13, but let me, just, let me just pause just for a second because I want to talk to you initially about the timing of temptation, okay? The timing of temptation. So, so Satan is, uh, has this scheme and this strategy, and he's very aware at the most opportune times, and when we have the greatest need, he is aware of those moments, and it seems to be that Satan has a strategy to juxtapose moments of spiritual vitality in our life next of these moments where he will come and tempt us. In my home, I know when those days occur. If you pray for me, you can pray for me on Saturday because it seems like on Saturday is when World War III breaks out in my home, all right? The reason I believe, I believe the Spirit of God has has reminded me and instructed me as to why it happens on Saturday. On Saturday, I'm prayed up, I'm ready, my mind is full of the scriptures, I've spent a week knowing what Jesus wants me to teach you, and I'm ready to instruct the church on Saturday, and with almost without fail, I've learned it's Saturday that Satan will come, and he uh, he wants to shake things up. He did it yesterday. We hadn't been awake 10 minutes, and boom, World War III is broken out in our home, all right? Now, I have come to realize the moments when Satan wants to tempt me in my life. I know when he wants to steal from me. I know when he wants to kill. I know when he wants to destroy. What God wants to do is typically on Saturday. So yesterday morning, we had 10 minutes away. Boom, Satan tries to knock me in the mouth. But you know what? I've, I've grown. I've understand the moments when he wants to do so. So I punched him in the mouth and we went to get cupcakes and we said, nana, nana, boo, boo. I know what you're doing. The timing of temptation here for Jesus was a moment where he had spent 40 days away, seeking the heart of God, understanding what God's will was, um, praying and fasting, the scripture says. And so it was in that moment of Jesus drawing near to the heart of the Father that Satan would come with his schemes and with his temptations, and he would try to tempt Jesus. Now, listen to me. John chapter 10, verse 10 tells us, And it lays out the plans of Satan. 
It tells us that in John 10, 10, Satan comes because he's a thief. He wants to kill and he will go so far as to destroy you if we will surrender to him. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says, your enemy, the devil will prowl around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's very clear in scripture that Satan has a strategy to tempt us, to, to lie to us about what he is offering and to make us to believe that what he is pushing um, towards us has more value and worth than what Jesus says. Now, um, Luke chapter four will, will, will tell us about what these tactics are. Luke chapter four will lay out the schemes of Satan. Now here's, I wanna be very clear. I believe that, that in every way that you are tempted, we can find that in Luke chapter four. But before we get to Luke chapter four, I wanna read 1 John chapter two, verse 16. 1 John chapter two, verse 16 says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 1 John says, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. 1 John chapter two, verse 16 lays out for us these sort of three categories of temptation that all of us will experience and what Jesus experienced um, that day as he beginning his ministry. The first thing he says, the lust of the flesh. He says, the lust of the eyes. And then he says, the pride of life. I want to categorize these things and I want to try to fit our temptations into these, uh, into these categories. And I hope that you're going to take something from it. Then ultimately, I want to end at the end of Jesus's ministry today and help us understand why it was Jesus, why it was that Jesus alone had the ability to go to the cross. Now, Luke chapter four, starting in verse three, here's the first temptation that Jesus experienced. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, by the way, was Jesus the son of God? Of course he was the son of God. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, now, now fully understand the scene here. Jesus has peeled away for 40 days. He's fasting and he's praying, no bread, no water, 40 days. It was at this point that Satan comes. And so here is this first temptation. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. So I picture this scene where Satan is standing behind Jesus and he picks up a piece of gravel. He puts it in Jesus' face and he says, you're hungry, aren't you? You've been here for 40 days, no bread, no water. And it was in that moment where Satan puts in front of him, when did you, if, you, if, you, if you're just hungry, just turn this piece of gravel into bread. Now look, I love Hawaiian bread rolls. You guys like bread? You like, you like, anybody like Hawaiian bread rolls? Okay, we can amen that. I'm, I'm fine with that. You can put anything on Hawaiian bread rolls and it will be amazing, right? You can put peanut butter on it. You can put lettuce on it. You can put quinoa and it all tastes good. <laughs> Satan has come to Jesus in this moment. I imagine he picks up this piece of gravel, this piece of granite, this piece of stone, and he knows in this moment what's going on. The, he knows there's unbelievable hunger in the, in the bowels of Jesus. And he knows what his greatest need is in this moment. And he tells Jesus, here, here, I can satisfy what you're longing for in this moment. Just turn it into bread. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with bread, right? I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with, with bread. Some of us think, oh, well, Jesus was God. He could go 400 days without food and water. Let me back up just for a second. Um, sometimes we look at the temptation of Jesus and we have this thought. Well, Jesus was fully God. Somehow he was wired differently than I am. And Jesus could just innately um, resist temptation. 
If we rightly understand scripture, we understand that yes, Jesus was fully God. Yes, he was fully man. But Jesus was tempted in every way we were. So the fact that Jesus has spent 40 days without food or water does not mean that he is the exception from us. In that moment, Jesus was desperately hungry. And there's nothing wrong with bread. Um, There's nothing wrong with with, uh, Jesus filling his body with nutrients in that moment. But listen to me. It was at the wrong time and it was from the wrong person. Okay. I want you to understand that because that theme is going to, um, it's going to make itself known all throughout these three temptations. And I think that's a good definition for sin, by the way. And I've said that to us as a church. Sin is anything that comes at the wrong time and from the wrong person. Jesus wanted to be filled, by the way. Jesus desired to be filled, but he wanted to be filled by the father, not from Satan. And so Satan appears on the scene. Here you go. This is the solution to what you're feeling and what you desire. This, the temptation that Jesus is experiencing in this moment, according to First John chapter 2, verse 16, the lust of the flesh produces um, this idea that, that this sort of temptation is a temptation that I want to feel that. I want to feel that. All of us will experience that sort of temptation in some way, some shape, some form. Now look, when, when we talk to people who are walking through a really difficult time in life, in pain, in depression, um, the typical theme that we get from people who are walking through those seasons is that life has become dull. Like you don't experience sensory feelings. You don't experience um, external emotions. Those people who are walking through pain and depression feel this dullness of life. And so the response is typically when people walk through pain and depression, when they walk so far into pain and depression, their solution is, is that I'm going to solve the problem of how I'm feeling. And so what we know about people who eventually commit suicide is that in the last days and even in the last hours, those who want to commit suicide Suicide had this euphoric um, experience, like pain has been released in the last hours and the last days of those who commit suicide. Now, just imagine this, right? Like, just imagine this thought. In your deepest pain and in your depression, by the way, I believe pain and depression is an experience for an overwhelming majority of humanity. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of our choices. It's a result of, of the things that we have decided that could please us and, and soothe us apart from Jesus. And just imagine in your pain and your depression, I'm confident there are people in this room this morning who have woken up this morning and thought about the very same thing. Life is dull. I can't take it anymore. And it's in that moment, Jesus knows your greatest need and he knows it's an opportune time. And you know what Satan would say to you in your pain and depression? He would, he would whisper to you, you want to feel different? Just take yourself out. You, you want to feel something that you're not feeling? Take yourself out. The liar of liars would come in moments of our greatest need, in moments that are the most opportune time, and he would tempt us just like Jesus was tempted. Now in a different form but in the same way. The temptation of the lust of the flesh is a temptation that says, I want to feel that. And Jesus, nothing wrong with taking the bread, filling his body, but it was at the wrong time. It was by the wrong person and in the wrong place. Um, Luke chapter four, Jesus experienced that same temptation. That's the first tactic of Satan's temptation. By the way, when I was a teenager, before I came to faith in Christ, 
Uh, now, I would consume alcohol excessively. Some of you, by the way, that's, how, that's why we consume excessively. I want to feel differently. I would consume alcohol on Thursday nights and Friday nights and Saturday nights. And if there wasn't school on Monday, I would consume it on Sunday. And I would do so because I wanted to escape family. I wanted to escape life. I wanted to feel something different. It's the lie of the tempter. It's the lie of the thief. It's the lie of the stealer. It's the lie of the killer. It's the lie of the destroyer who would say to you, if you you want to feel something different. And I want you to internalize that. Write it down. It's, this is how Satan will tempt you. Now, the second way that Satan tempts Jesus is found in verse 5. In verse 5 says to us, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor, and it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Devil. The Satan is a liar. First of all, first of all, um, Jesus would have the kingdoms of the world. It's not at the right time. It's not at the right place. At the resurrection, at the second coming of Jesus, he will have the full authority of the kingdoms of the earth. But in this moment, and in this time, Jesus still had to resist sin. He still had to go to the cross in order to have authority over those kingdoms. And Satan whispers a lie into his ear and he tells him, I've got authority all over all of those kingdoms and if you want that authority, I can give it to you. That's the, the, part of the essence of sin is that Satan will offer you something that he cannot ultimately live up to. He will say, I'm, I will give you this, yet he can't fulfill his promise. And this is what Jesus says to him. This is what Jesus says. The devil led him up to the high place, showed him an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. You're a liar. Verse 7, if you worship me, Satan is asking for Jesus' allegiance. He's asking for Jesus. In essence, temptation does that to us. It's a test of allegiance in that moment. Where does your allegiance lie? And Satan will lie and ask for us to bow down before him. The essence of sin is that Satan lures us to bow down to him. It promises something it cannot deliver. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Verse 8, and Jesus answered, but it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The first temptation was the lust of the flesh. It's, I want to feel that. The second temptation that Jesus experiences here is the lust of the eyes. And what that says is, I want to have that. I want to, I want to have that. It's not bad for Jesus to have the kingdoms of the world. He would have the kingdoms of the world, but it wasn't Satan's to hand over. It was from the Father. Remember again, the wrong time, the wrong place, the wrong person. I want to have that. Now, it's like this. It, it, it's, it, it works itself out in a lot of ways, but think about this just for a moment. Um, think about you're in a relationship and it's natural in a relationship to be, want to be intimate with your partner. By the way, that's not an ungodly feeling. We were created that way with feelings of intimacy and desire. We, we, don't have to, we don't have to pretend as if this is from the enemy. God created us that way, but here's the thing. I believe, according to Scripture, now you may disagree and you may say, no, that's healthy. You may say, no, my doctor said I should do this. You may, say, you may um, have an, an alternate source that you cite to say, I disagree. But my source says sex outside of marriage is not the right time, it is not the right place, and it is not from the right person. But it is the temptation that says, I want to have that. And Jesus would look at us and say, it's not the right time. It's not the right place. It's not the right person. 
And you could argue and say, no, no, but what, what, what bad would sex outside of marriage do for me? I, I would just say to you this, call me in 10 years and tell me about your intimacy with your spouse. Um, I would say, um, I would say, call me in 10 years and let me know how that's worked out for you. I don't know many people who have had sex before marriage where intimacy, unless the spirit of the living God has not intervened, has healed some deep, deep wounds. But the temptation that, that Satan throws Jesus' way is the same temptation that we experience as the temptation to have that. How does that work out, Pastor Matt? I don't know. It could work itself out in status, wealth, appearance. I want to have that. Jesus' response was, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In essence, Jesus was saying, the Father is the only one that can make a promise like that, Satan. And by the way, he's the only one that will fulfill that promise. The first temptation was a temptation of the lust of the flesh. I want to feel that. The second is the lust of the eyes. I want to have that. And then finally, the final temptation that Satan throws Jesus' way is found in verse 9 and all the way to verse 12. And the scripture says, And the devil led him to Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, is he the Son of God, by the way? Absolutely, he's the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and by the way, Satan is so crafty, he now, he now thumbs back to the Old Testament and he begins to quote scripture to Jesus. He's crafty and he says to Jesus, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Picture this. Jesus has been away for 40 days cultivating intimacy with his father, seeking the will of God. And he wants to fulfill the purpose for which God has sent him. In this moment, Satan says to him, even when, even when you fall, the angels, they'll guard you. And Jesus, people will know that you are the son of God. <laughs> You're like, well, what's wrong with people knowing that he's the son of God? It was the wrong time. It was from the wrong person, and it was in the wrong place. Jesus would come to be known as the Son of God. Surely you are the Son of God. That's what he said when he was dying on the cross. Jesus would come to be known as the Son of God. But in this moment, Satan offers him preemptively something that he wanted to be and that he ultimately was. You will be the Son of God. Not the right time, Satan. Not the right place. And it's definitely not from the right place person. So Satan says, throw yourself down. The angels will catch you and everyone will know that you are the son of God. The third temptation comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. First is the lust of the flesh. Second is the lust of the eyes. The third is the pride of life. What does the pride of life say to us? The pride of life has this temptation that says, I want to be that. I want to be that. Jesus wanted to be the son of God. He was the son of God. He's known as the son of God, but it was the wrong time, wrong place, wrong person. What's that temptation for you? I don't know. I want to be that person. I want to be who I'm not. I would probably go so far as to say that most of us, especially in the Western world, infinitely desire to be something that we currently are not. I, I know I personally wrestle with that often. I, I, uh, my wife would tell you, 
Matt typically um, likes, to, likes to see things from a higher level. He likes to see the landscape. And sometimes that can be good in leadership situations, but oftentimes that can be bad. You know why? Because I have difficulty being present in the moment. I want to be something different. I want to be there, not here. The temptation that Satan brings our way when he knows it's an opportune time and it's a need that we have, he says to you, oh, you want to be that? Here you go. I want to be that. Jesus tells him, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, in verse 13, the passage close out, closes out. And it says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. <laughs> I love this. I love this. Because it reminds me that um, theologically we do not believe that any human, any believer in Jesus Christ will ever reach a level of perfection until we are one day standing in glory. Now, we should all have a trajectory towards that way, but none of us will ever reach perfection. So what that tells us this morning is from verse 13, is by the spirit of the living God, you may resist temptation. <laughs> you may resist temptation this morning and Satan may leave. Listen to me, but he'll be back. He may leave, but... He'll be back. He'll find an opportune time. He'll find the lowest point in life and he'll tempt you with wanting to feel that. He'll find a low point in life and tempt you with wanting to have that. He, he may come to you at a high point in life and tempt you with wanting to be that. He'll leave, but he'll be back. So as we reflect on what happens here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we may have this thought. You know what? Jesus was a good person. He was a religious leader. We may look at him and say um, um, he was a good person, a religious leader, and have this thought that innately Jesus was wired differently than all of us. And so Jesus had this unfair advantage that he could just resist temptation. Like it never was a challenge for Jesus to look Satan in the eyes and say, you're a moron, I'm not going that way. But when we understand scripture, we understand that yes, he was fully God. He was also fully man. And if Jesus could have resisted temptation, it negates his ability to be nailed to a cross on our behalf. He experienced everything that we experienced. I think one of the greatest illustrations of that is on the last day of Jesus' ministry. The night before Jesus goes to the cross, we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we find him in a place where he has spent 33 years. He's perfectly resisted temptation. And praise God, by the way, that he perfectly resisted temptation because that gives him the authority to be the only one that could be nailed to the cross for the sins of humanity. Praise God, praise God, praise God. But if you ever had this doubt that Jesus was just different and he just had this unique sense of denying temptation, Read with me in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. And it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you do not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing... This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He spent 33 years having never given in to temptation. Listen to me. It was the right time. It was the right place. It was from the right person. This is from the Father. If you are willing, Father. He tells the disciples to go out and pray. 
If there was ever any doubt that Jesus was tempted as we are, I find this passage to be highly illustrative for us. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. If you read the same passage from Luke chapter 4, the corresponding passage where Jesus is being tempted by Satan at the beginning of his ministry. If you read that corresponding passage in Matthew chapter four, you will find that the last verse in that story is that once Satan left, the scripture says the angels came and they ministered to Jesus. We find that again here in the garden where Jesus has resisted temptation. And it was in that moment where the scripture says the angel from heaven appeared and he strengthened Jesus. Now verse 44, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. We find Jesus in a scenario, medical condition. It's very rare, but apparently it happened to Jesus where his vessels ruptured and now he's literally sweating drops of blood. And he looks at the Father, whom he's cultivated an intimacy with, and he knows the Father's will. He knows this is the hour. He knows this is the right time. He knows it's the right place. He knows it's from the right person. And he says, God, if you can, if you can do it any other way, take this cup from me. There was ever any doubt that Jesus experienced and resisted temptation like us. It's here. And when he rose from prayer, prayer, and he went back to the disciples, listen to this, he found them asleep. Why could they not resist temptation? They weren't praying. They weren't experiencing the same intimacy with the Father that Jesus was. He found them asleep. By the way, can you blame them? It's been a long day. <laughs> sure there's a million reasons in our mind wow, how we can justify the fact that the Son of God is about to be crucified on the cross and the closest ones to Him are sleeping on the job. But then I find myself in that place. What Christ had done on behalf of humanity was so tempting that His sweat became like blood. And the temptation was overwhelming, but praise God, He never gave in. He never resisted. In fact, the rest of the story that we preached last week is that he experienced excruciating pain. A word that comes from the experience on the cross, a pain that's only known as a result of being nailed to a cross. Excruciating pain from the cross. A word that was invented to describe the cross experience. How far did Jesus go to resist temptation? Listen to me, he went all the way. He went all the way. What a great illustration about resisting and rising above temptation. How far would Jesus go? He would go so far that he was willing to lose his life rather than succumb to the enemy's tactics. Praise God. It's the only reason you can sit in an auditorium this morning and know the love of God on your behalf the depths of love that he would go to. And it's illustrative for us. How far can we go to resist temptation? Can I say this to you? The fact remains that we have not, we are not, and we will not resist temptation at some point. 
And even if it's only been one time, like you're the exception in the room, you are the exception, not the rule. It's only happened once in your life, but if it's only happened once, and I know it has of all of us, the fact remains that you and I are wholly different from Jesus. He alone had the ability, the authority, the power to go to the cross for the sins of humanity. So then, Pastor Matt, how do I resist temptation? How do I rise above the schemes of the devil and live a life that honors Jesus? I'd, I'd love to give you 14 ways to cultivate intimacy with Jesus. I find it very instructive that when Satan came to Jesus, he prayed, he quoted scripture. Don't, don't look over that fact. Like, like we, sometimes in church as pastors, we've grown to the point where we're, we're, we're afraid of prescribing um, something that could actually help you. Like, we don't want to give him a list because then we're legalistic. Can I say to you, Jesus prayed, he quoted scripture. You want to resist temptation? Pray, no scripture. I think it's also highly illustrative to us this morning. Jesus had this innate sense, this, this awareness of the Holy Spirit. Sounds strange because he's part of the Trinity. I would say to you this morning, if there's no resistance in your life, like in that moment of temptation, if there is no resistance in your life, I, there's probably going to be no victory. And there may even be so far as to go as to say, the Spirit of God may not have a residence in your life. Cultivate the Holy Spirit. Pray, read scripture, stay in fellowship. I'm, there's some people from Atlanta here today. Um, and. Um, they're good friends, and I'm so excited. We're going to go to the Magic Castle tonight. I'm going to wear my suit. I lied to you. I said the only time you'd ever see me wear a suit last week was on Easter, and if I do your funeral and wedding, i got to wear a suit tonight because we're going to the Magic Castle. And so they're in town. I, I was just extraordinarily aware, Bill, whenever I lived in Woodstock because we were a large church. Anywhere I went, there was the possibility of somebody knowing me. It just was what it was. I went on my honeymoon to St. Thomas. I'm walking down the beach on my first day. And it's my honeymoon, y'all. And somebody shouts out, hey, Matt. Hey, Laura. Can I say to you, I'm, I'm innately aware of, of that sort of accountability in my life. How does that apply to you? Stay in fellowship with believers. You need that accountability. Not because somebody can look at you and say, hey, I'm judging you because of your sin, because they can lovingly say to you, you've been tempted and you may have given in, but Jesus offers a better way. The gist of what I want to say to you this morning is if you want to resist uh, temptation, if you want to resist sin, your resistance against temptation is only as strong as your intimacy with Jesus. You need to cultivate intimacy with God. When I was a kid, my dad had dogs that we, um, we had hunting dogs and we had a kennel behind our house and um, I, we had like 10, 12 dogs. It was madness. And so um, I would go and feed the dogs occasionally starting as a little kid in order to fill up this metal bowl with Alpo or Purina, whatever we, whatever we were feeding them. And I would fill the bowl with dog food. And, and, and the dogs would know because of the time of day and like, like they just had the weird sense I could smell the dog food. And so like I would open the, the gate and, and I mean like even from like eight years old, like I would open the gate and I would have to like be really, like I'd open it and have to slide it in because occasionally they would jump on the gate and they could literally tackle me because they wanted the dog food. 
I remember as a kid, um, there was this next door neighbor named David and uh, I was an entrepreneur even then and I was like, hey David, I'll pay you a dollar if you'll eat dog food. <laughs> and, um, and I remember David's like, oh, no, dude, I'm not eating dog food. And I think about this, we, 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 we innately understand, I'm not, I was not created to consume dog food, right? Like, like, I hope that makes sense to you. I hope you like dog food. Like, I know I was not made for dog food. I was made for steak. I was not made for Purina. I was made for chicken. I was not made for Alpo. I was made for fajitas. We know that's not for me. The scripture tells us, I had a professor in seminary that said, once we've become a new creation in Christ, there is a new creation, a new creature, a new nature, he called it, that's been woven inside of me. And that new nature constantly fights against the old nature. And he described it as two dogs fighting against each other. And when the moment of temptation comes, the scripture says my new nature will fight against my old nature. And we will have this battle. And the new nature will pull and stretch against the old nature. will pull and stretch. And I'm in this cosmic battle of, 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 of not giving in to temptation in between two natures. Scripture says, I'm created as a new creation once the Spirit of God changes my life. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's who you are. It's a real battle in your life. This morning, I want to pray for us. And I'm really aware that there's probably some of you guys that are in deep, deep struggles this morning. Some of you guys may not be. You, 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 may, you may be cruising now, a glorious spiritual highway. Praise God for you. Some of you guys may be in a ditch so deep that you can't even see light. It's a battle. It's a temptation. It's a struggle. Can I say to you, Satan has lied to you. And you played a part because you gave in. You surrendered. Jesus looks today and he says, that he, I, I offer a way out. I think one of the best ways to begin that process of saying, Jesus, I'm in a deep struggle is to be honest with him today. In Garden of Gethsemane, it says that Jesus was on his knees. I believe some of you guys today, I'm, I believe with all of my heart, if that's your struggle today and the spirit of God is speaking to your heart, the best place you can begin is on your knees saying, Jesus, I am deep into the thick of it and I need to acknowledge it before you and I need your help by the spirit of the living God. For some of you guys who are believers today, that needs to be your response and you need to stop delaying because the thief has come to steal, to kill. And you would think, what could be worse? No, he will destroy he will destroy. Praise God, Jesus has offered a way. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and we're going to be done. The band's going to come out. We're going to play one more song. You may also be here this morning and you've never come to a relationship where you've come to a place where you've trusted your life to Jesus. You've had this acknowledgement that because of your sin, it separated you from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned fall short of the glory of God. The result of that sin, according to Romans 6.23, is the result is death, both in this life and the next. No access to God. But then Romans 5.8 tells us that because God and His glorious love for us demonstrated on the cross, 
that love and he died for your sin. He provided a solution. He provided a way out for your sin debt to be canceled because he was the only one who was sinless. He fully resisted temptation. And the scripture says, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, acknowledge Jesus, you are the only one that could cancel that debt. And because you've done so, I trust my life to you today. I repent of my sin. Scripture says, a 180, turn from it. Jesus, I desire, I know there will never be perfection until I'm in with you in glory. But from this day forward, I desire to walk with you the rest of the days of my life. If you've never trusted Jesus for a relationship with him, to be saved from your sin, to repent of your sin and walk with him. Today is the day. It's a watershed moment. You say yes or you say no. And maybe that's where you are today. I don't want to embarrass you, make you say anything you don't want to say. I don't want to stand you on the stage, make you do anything you don't want to do this morning. But if that's your desire, would you just do me a favor? Tom is going to be down here, down front. Darrell is going to be over here to my right. That's you this morning. There's no shame, no embarrassment. I want you to come and see one of these two and say, I, I need to trust Jesus with my life. We're going to pray for you. Say, praise God. The most incredible thing has happened today. Give you a Bible, give you some materials to begin to walk with God. That's all that's going to happen. That's you and you're like, I, 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 I'm not walking down a flight of steps. After the service, if you'll go to the connect table, fill out a card that says, I trusted Jesus with my life. This week, we will follow up with you. One of our pastors will do so. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the grave. It implies that you have overcome. And today, we don't have to be defeated. We can be victors because of the Spirit of God that we have access to. The veil was torn and full access to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.